What I'd like to speak about this morning is the wisdom of no escape. And the the word or the, the concept of escape can be one that's rather interesting, perhaps even rather powerful for us in various different ways. We might, after having been here now for two or three days, or for some of you considerably longer, but certainly when we arrive on a retreat often there's a, a sense of enthusiasm and energy and it's all fresh and exciting and we've finally made it and after two or three days we start to settle into the reality of the fact that this is a retreat and here we are. And uh, often within a few days the thought can occasionally arise my gosh, a month looks like a long time. Or even two weeks seems to extend forever into the future, let alone two or three months if one is here for that time. And we can see this this movement arising within ourselves that has some element of wish to escape in it, in some way or form. And it's a movement that we see in our lives equally, and rather often if we look and we see with that perspective where we see so much in our life, we can spend time caught up in distraction, in involving ourselves with, with fantasy and with entertainment and with just a busyness of doing that stops us ever coming to a halt and coming to a place where we're confronting our lives or really looking carefully at our existence. And we can see we also seek escape through the, the cultivation and the increasing the level of comfort in our lives. That we, we seek to make our the space in which we exist, the place, the circumstances, both inner and outer, into a place where we're not impinged upon or impacted upon by the unpleasant, by the uncomfortable, by the disturbing in any way. To the degree that we can, we like to be comfortable. And what we see very easily in this, I think, if we look, is that within that comfort and that ease when we do succeed in establishing and creating that circumstance for us is that there, as much as it's rather pleasurable there's also a way in which we easily start to fall asleep in it. We easily, in our escape into comfort we also find ourselves escaping into a degree of dullness or disconnection or just a way in which we don't feel fully alive and awakened fully awakened in each moment because the, the level of comfort is such that we don't really need to make an effort to be present and it's not often the case that we're, we're motivated to practice we're motivated to come on retreat by the intense amount of pleasure and comfort in our lives it's usually not what brings us to meditation although it might be it would be a rare case it might be more often it's the other things the challenges the difficulties the the fundamental questions that bring us into a situation like this, that at some level, either physically or emotionally or with the questions we could say existentially pose a certain degree of discomfort for us. And whether it be that our body is in constant pain, that our heart experiences regular and intense distress or sadness or pain in some form, or that our, our mind is somehow confronted with questions about what is all this about? 
Why am I here? That, that somehow puts us not at ease, or that somehow we're not comfortable with, that we, we seek revolution too. And, and it can be sometimes in this, in this facing or coming into contact with the uncomfortable, the, the, the absence of comfort, where it, it makes us feel perhaps more alive in one way, and yet in another way we have this rather basic response that says, I want out. I want to be somewhere other than where this unpleasant or difficult experience is occurring. And in our, in our meditation practice when we're here on retreat, we can easily see that tendency towards fantasy, towards spacing out and disconnecting, or towards getting caught up in thinking and analysing and, and the busyness of mind where it has something to do and it sort of feels productive and as though it's going somewhere. But effectively it actually has the the result or the, it creates the experience of distancing and disconnecting ourselves from where we actually are, from the truth and the immediacy of our experience. And at a more refined level perhaps we can also find this process of escaping revealing itself through the, the tendency to become very focused. And not the tendency, but the conscious cultivation of a great degree of focus, which is a very powerful and useful tool in our practice. And we definitely encourage and speak about the cultivation of concentration, of steadiness of mind. And yet, one really needs to understand that as a tool and as a quality of heart and mind which serves the deepening of our practice, the unfoldment of wisdom and compassion, rather than as an end in itself. Because if we make getting peaceful, getting calm, being collected, you know, deep harmony of mind and body. It's all lovely, there's nothing wrong with it at all. But if we make it a final point, our destination, where we're seeking to arrive and struggling to stay when we get there, then that equally can be a way in which we start to escape from our life. That we can use that focus and perhaps in this, I'm speaking more to those who have more that tendency towards a, a concentrated and focused mind. For others it may seem that that's an unlikely way to try and escape since it's not their experience very often. But for those for whom that's perhaps a little easier, then one has to be careful that one isn't just seeking to hang out there, to escape into this comfortable, pleasant space. Because enjoyable and wonderful and as nourishing and as healing as it can be, it can also turn out to be some form of avoidance. And we can look at the way we evaluate our meditation practice and how often we think when we've had a peaceful, easy, enjoyable, pleasurable sitting, that was a good one. Yeah, that's how it should be. And how nice it would be if they were all like that. Oh gosh, wouldn't that just be great? So look at that tendency. Is it that there's a healthy recognition of the value of those qualities and appreciation of their potency in our practice and in our life? Or is it more that sense of just again wanting to escape into, to withdraw into a place where we don't have to face, when we're not confronted with the, the challenges of life, the challenges that come at all levels. And there's, a, I think, a very deep element in our psyche, for most of us at least, where we, we have this sort of, both a belief in and a yearning for the possibility of that what we could call escape, that somehow something, someone or some practice can do it for us, 
in a way in which we won't have to deal with this anymore. And if we sort of have some familiarity with the Eastern traditions, we might think in terms of a guru who's going to fix our problem. If it's more a Western inclination we come from, we might be thinking of a fairy godmother who will wave the wand and pop, all the problems are solved. Or the saviour, someone that's going to save us, take us away from the reality of our situation and the difficulty of it. And even in the spiritual language, we sometimes hear this kind of way of looking at practice that in the, sometimes the way the language is used, we talk about transcendence, about getting away from, about removing ourselves to some other more rarefied, more enjoyable, more easeful plane of existence that is somehow divorced or disconnected or not related to where we are. And so we can just then stop, perhaps, if we notice that that is a tendency within our own mind or a tendency of response that we see revealed in our lives where we are seeking to to find this other place, to go somewhere else, to escape from this which we call our lives so far. In that stopping, what would it be if we were to face, if we were to realize, if we were to even question, what if this is it? Quite simply, this is it. Not somewhere else, not something else, some other place, time, body, mind. Not another one, but this one. Because this is it. There isn't another one. This is your life, right now. And the, the tendency to want to escape and the belief in it as a possibility is somehow a negation and an avoidance of the significance of that fact. That this is my life. In this moment, that's all there is to it. I had some opportunity to reflect on this theme recently while uh, leading a, a backpacking retreat in France two or three weeks ago when we were out walking with backpacks doing regular sitting meditation as well as uh, walking in the hills and the forest and uh, camping for the week. And on this particular retreat it rained almost continuously which is something of a challenge when one is very out there exposed to the elements. and. It was very easy to see how quickly we started to relate in terms of looking for a place we could escape from this weather, whether it be a shelter of some form or a, um, a hope in ourselves of a change in the weather. And every night we would sort of go to our tents hoping that in the morning, certainly I was hoping that in the morning the weather would have changed. And after two or three days of this, I remember having to really reflect on this, and certainly I was in the position of offering reflections to the others also. And uh, just seeing this, this very strong tendency to want to escape our circumstances, because as far as we were concerned there, that was it. Rainy weather was it. And that was our retreat, not something else that we'd hoped or thought about in the memories of sort of sunny days and swimming in the streams from the year before were washed away rather literally. And in that, there's a sense of seeing how 
there's the wish to escape the circumstance was very clear, very strong. We spoke about how we experienced it to some extent. But it also struck me very clearly that although we might be able to, it might be that the weather would change, it might be that we would find a nice hut to shelter in or a barn. But although we might escape our circumstances, we will not and cannot escape our minds. And this understanding is one of the foundations of meditation practice. That we can't escape our minds. That even if our circumstances change and become perhaps what we had wished or hoped for, if we have a mind that seeks to escape, it will still find itself at odds or not at ease in that situation, even the situation we might currently find ourselves wishing for. And you might notice, for the, you know, again, the first few days of a retreat, one can sometimes spend a rather large amount of the time wishing that our mind would just quieten down just at least a little bit, you know, just a bit of peace, a bit of ease. Perhaps if the body wasn't so uncomfortable, then I could really get on with my retreat. Such a common refrain as we settle into the, into the days. And then perhaps for a few moments or even longer, we find the mind becomes quiet. The body is relatively easeful. We say, ah, this is nice. And then in a few more moments, hmm, there's not much going on really. It's a little bit boring. You know, I'm supposed to get some insights now. <laughs> and, and we see that, that lack of ability to stay directly where we are reveals itself even in the most wanted and desired for situation. So our practice asks us not to escape in any way our circumstances, our experience or our life, but to actually explore what it would mean to establish an unconditional engagement with our life on a moment-to-moment basis. An unconditional engagement with just what is now, with just how it is and to see what that might reveal to us, to see what might be discovered in really letting go of our holding on to our belief in that sense of the possibility of escaping. Because so long as we're holding on to that, there's a way in which if we're holding on to that hope or expectation of somewhere else, of something else, it provides a barrier or it, in a way, disconnects us from the possibility of fully being where we are. Fully receiving what is offered to us in this moment. Because we're, we're not there. We're, we're caught in this movement of escape, this ideology of getting away from, avoiding in some way. And it's interesting to look at, we have this, what could be called a sensory predicament. Here we are, consciousness or something we call consciousness, which we probably can't quite comprehend exactly what it is, that is in touch with this sensory equipment, this incredibly refined and sensitive system of body, tactile sensations, sights, sounds, smells, taste, touch. And they come to us in so many different ways. And we're, we're an incredibly sensitive being. We perhaps start to get a feeling for that on retreat as our as our senses are more refined, as we're more conscious of what's actually impinging upon those sense doors, what's actually touching and connecting with that complex and amazingly sensitive apparatus. 
and we see that in fact the, the degree of, or the range of experience in which we're comfortable is really very small in comparison to the possible range of experience. I mean, it's kind of obvious for something like temperature. You know? we, we, we have a certain temperature which is rather pleasurable. It's, it's a bodily experience. You know, it happens impacting on the, um, the tactile senses, the sense of touch, feel warmth and coolness. The temperature down a few degrees, and suddenly we're cold, we're shivering, we're wanting, looking for more blankets. Why don't the manager turn up the heating? Can't they tell we're freezing in here? And then, of course, some um, heating comes on, and there's a lot of people in here, and we've got a blanket and a jumper on, and we can feel we're starting to sweat and sort of get a bit. I get always get itchy when I get too hot, and sort of, whew, and I don't really want to move, and, and I lose my concentration by taking off all my clothes. And, Gosh, don't they know it's too hot in here? What about the heating? You know, can't we have a window open, someone, please? And there's a really narrow range that we're comfortable at. If I started speaking really loudly, and that's not too loud, it wouldn't be long before it was too loud and it would be unpleasant. Why don't you talk a bit more quietly? Or if the light suddenly became brighter and brighter at night, we notice it. The light in the room, we've all got a place that's actually different for each of us usually. It adds to the interest in the room. Where we're comfortable with the amount of light. There's a place at which it's just a little bit too bright and a place at which it's a little bit too dark. And they're not that far apart. And yet we can have a lot of interest in getting it just in that right place. And it speaks to us about the sensitivity of the system. The sensitivity of the system that we're in. And we go to such great efforts to protect ourselves from and to avoid straying into those realms where we're outside the range of our comfort where we're outside the range of what we feel easy with. And what we notice in that, that, with that, together with that belief, that sense of, yeah, some degree of faith or um, hope, one might perhaps say, in the possibility of escape, of getting away from we, we can see very strongly the sense of I, the sense of self that wants to escape. The sense of I arises very strongly, very clearly in relationship to those places where we cross the threshold of our comfort zone and we enter into the, the rather um, uncomfortable areas or the rather unfamiliar areas where we're not fully at ease, where in some way something is impinging upon us whether it be a sensation arising in the knee or the back, whether it's a thought or emotion in the heart and mind, or whatever it might be, where something's impinging upon us. And when we enter into those places, we start to see a response where the self becomes very solid, very strong, where it's got this very much, I must, or I can't, or I don't want, or often... We tend to put it outside and they should have and they shouldn't have and you did. That kind of movement about why is it like this? It shouldn't be like this. What am I going to do to fix it? And itself so much caught up in this wish to escape that it stands out rather more clearly perhaps than it does at other times. And it's not an accident that we see this movement of self bound up with fear, bound up with craving, arising in this context. It's not that we're seeking to prevent it arising. We're not seeking to be in a place where we don't ever have to see that movement in our being, that movement that 
arises as a response to the impingement, as a response to the overstimulation of our sensory, our sensory experience. That as it arises, there's a contraction, there's a, a sense of separation that's created, and we can actually see that process occurring. If we're not identified with it, if we don't buy into this ideology of escape, of believing that that's what we're here to do, to get to a place where we never actually have to notice that process arising. We never have to see that uncomfortable, because it's uncomfortable in itself, that whole movement of self, of I wanting, I don't want, I'm afraid, that whole movement itself is uncomfortable. And to not seek to avoid it ever arising, but in when it arises, to be able to see it for what it is. To see it for what it is, and to see what its effect is. Because its effect is that it disconnects us. It separates us. It takes us away from the the vitality of the immediate experience of our life, of each moment. And we really need to understand what is happening in that. The, in many, or in a, in a primary way at least, the wisdom of no escape asks us to confront the truth of our lives with an interest in understanding it, rather than an interest in rearranging it, perfecting it, or escaping it. So this primary motivation is to understand it. To understand it. On the backpacking retreat, which I was referring to just earlier, it was a situation which we were also, again, very exposed to the elements and we you get to see very quickly just how narrow a range of temperature your body is happy at or is comfortable at and how narrow a range of circumstances we, we sort of would wish to reduce our world to. But it's not just the, the physical side which we equally confront here in, in sitting and having that commitment to be still, to be present in the sitting and the walking. But equally the mind seems that there's actually a very narrow range of things in which the mind is comfortable with, has a very limited view often of what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, what's okay and what should not be, what is not acceptable. And those views and the judgments that go with them, narrowing the sense of where we can feel to be at ease. And, and we're confronted with that in our practice, we're confronted with our mind, we're face to face with it. As I said, we cannot escape the condition of our mind. It's the one thing that comes with us through all the circumstances of our lives. Not to say it can't be changed, that it's not subject to to change and to to transformation, in fact. But that nonetheless, where it is now is something we cannot escape from. And we had this very... There's an interesting um, experience that went on for a lot of people, which I felt very similar in its relationship to what what happens in a, in a more formal, intensive retreat form like we're enga- engaged in here. Where, after a day or two of rain, the mind very quickly starts to say, oh no, I can't do this all week. Or, we're sitting here, what if my knee hurts for a whole month? 
What if my mind goes crazy like it just did now for every sitting for the rest of this retreat? And, and we see in that, in that look, in that movement from the difficulty and the challenge of the immediate experience that if we project it into the future, there's a fear of continuity and a hope for escape. Maybe it'll be sunny tomorrow. Maybe the next sitting my mind will quieten down. I hope so. But the whole next walking period we're wondering what's it going to be like? Is it really going to be like that again? And there's a, there's a wish that we would if we could get away from it. If there was something, if there was a button, if we'd worked out that there was a button somewhere on this system that you could push and it stopped the mind from chattering or it stopped the, the knee from hurting, we'd have all hit that button by now probably. And after the, um, after about three days out there, one of the uh, retreatants reported that I thought rather wonderfully wise in the perception that she said, hey, I would have left. But then I realised, and here we are walking out in the middle of the woods in the south of France, the forest. I would have left, but I realised, where could I go? Can't call a taxi. And the same is true of our lives. We wouldn't mind leaving at some time, but where are we going to go? Where could you go? And that old sort of... Um, you know, one liner, um, one sometimes here, stop the world, I want to get off. Sometimes it feels like that in our mind. Stop my mind, I want to get out of here. But where can we go? This is it. This is where we are. This is our life. So, in our practice, to watch our relationship to comfort and discomfort, to watch what goes on and we're in our attempt to get comfortable or in fact to extend our comfort zone once we get comfortable we're never, we're never happy when we get comfortable we want it to get bigger we not only want to be warm we then also want to have no discomfort ever in the whole sitting or we not only want our mind to be quiet we then want it to come up with some brilliant insights we never actually get comfortable and once we've got those insights we want to keep them we want to tell the teacher about them before they go away or whatever it might be there's no end to that process. And so to see how often that, that, that movement, that movement of extending our comfort zone or of feeling unwilling or unable to be at ease with the discomfort that might be present, to look at that process, to see how much power we give to that, that movement that expresses itself most often as, I can't. Or perhaps a little more honestly as, I don't want to have to be with this. Whatever this might be. And often I can't sort of seems to close all doors. There's no possibility of exploring it when we ask it or when we experience something as I can't be with this. And to stop and just check in. Often what's going on there is I don't like this. It's unpleasant and I don't want to have to feel it. I don't want to have to be with it but we gloss it over by saying, I can't. To take it back, to take it back and to actually empower ourselves is to recognise that this is the movement of I don't want, of I don't like. And to ask ourselves, how much power do we want to give this in our life? How much authority do we want to give that movement? What's the result of living our life at its beck and call? 
the primary defining characteristic of discomfort is that it's unpleasant and unpleasant things are exactly what we don't like. That's their nature. And yet there's more to it than just that. Often when there's some degree of discomfort or when there's some way in which we are being challenged on the edges of our comfort zones, there's also a quality of alertness, aliveness, awakeness that's there with that. And we don't often find ourselves going to sleep when there's pain in the knee. That's a very simple demonstration of that. And we noticed again on this walking retreat, and it was rather clear again, how on the fourth day, again, <laughs> kept raining, 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 after four days out in the rain, we passed by a small um, centre that had various courses there, and they invited us to use their facilities, which we as a sort of an act of great compassion to the retreatants who were beginning to believe that I was a committed ascetic at that point. Um, we said, I said, okay, we'll go in and we'll make use of their showers. And so we got to go in these amazing warm showers. And just like, ah. And after four days in the rain and the cold and all that, it was just wonderful. Everyone came out of these showers just sort of blissful and glowing and pink and steaming. And promptly all wanted to go to sleep. And it's lovely and it was beautiful and we enjoyed resting there for some time. But quite a few people also reported when we went back out and we actually went out into some of the heaviest rain we'd walked in. How they realised quite quickly that they were more alive. There was a more a sense of an alertness and a vitality in their being. Despite the cold and the wind and the sort of the ongoing question as to how long is this going to go on. It's south of France after all. This is totally unheard of. Um, and so there's this this power, this potency that's there in our willingness to voluntarily enter into areas that are not easy. I'm not saying that we have to seek them out. We don't need to seek them out. There's plenty of them already there. And it's also not saying that there aren't times when it's appropriate to say, this is enough. That we can have a balanced relationship to the challenges and the difficulties that recognise at times when it's not just a case of going beyond our comfort zone, but it's actually a genuine question of what is possible for us. And we have limits. We're human beings. And we respect those limits when we find them. But finding them from a place of openness and the real inquiry to see what's possible for me here, rather than closing down in identification with, I don't like it, I don't want to do it, I can't, in that way, that really leaves no, no room for our own possibilities, no room to discover what our potential might be. So having something of a commitment to stay with, Stay with our experience. To not seek escape. To not hold out that image, that rather promising or alluring possibility of somewhere else. To not tempt ourselves with it. Because it's, it's Mara. It's the voice of craving and aversion. It's the voice of ignorance that would take us away from where we are. What we start to discover when we do this is that often, often, although the thought said, I can't, the experience reveals we can. 
we are much more capable, we have much greater potency than we often give ourselves credit for in our ability to be with the difficult in our ability to go beyond our limitations we have much greater capacity than we often dare believe and yet we'll never discover that potential if we always follow the path of least resistance and the path of avoidance and escape. As we start to experience a different order, a different realm of escape, one could say, although perhaps I shouldn't use that word having given it such a hard time, a different order of uh, relationship to our experience in which it provides perhaps more directly what we were seeking to gain through an escape but without escaping. We start to we start to realize and trust in that capacity to be with that we can stay there. That having explored our edges we start to realize they weren't edges in any absolute or solid way. They were the appearance of an edge created through aversion and through thought processes. An appearance of a boundary or a barrier which actually ultimately does not have the capacity to limit us, to confine us or to reduce our inherent potential. So when we don't actually withdraw from our experience, when it's difficult, when it's challenging us, we will all have the opportunity to explore those experiences in this time. Much as we might hope not to, it will be part, not necessarily all of our experience, but for pretty much everyone, that's life. And to actually not withdraw from, but to penetrate more deeply, more intimately into our experience, into our life. This this starts to show that we do have a capacity to receive life. And in our receiving of life, we start to become touched by the fact that life has the capacity to awaken us. That each moment, that each experience has that capacity to bring a quality of aliveness, of vitality, to bring an alertness and awakeness to us. And it's not that it comes from outside, but that it comes perhaps more accurately from within to meet that experience, to meet that life. And yet that that possibility is always there. Each experience is an invitation to that. So that we, we could perhaps, rather than using the language of escape, we might relate to the language that the Buddha used when he spoke of, at least as it is translated, deliverance. What it means to understand deliverance. And of course one could say it's just another word for escape. But not using it synonymously here. What would it be to transform our lives? Not to transcend them and escape them or avoid them, but to transform our lives through our willingness to be present, through our deep interest in understanding what each moment has to offer to us and to receive the gift of our life, to allow our life to awaken us. 
this is possible for us. When we, when we cease to seek to escape from it, to escape into something else, but that we allow ourselves to dissolve into, and quite literally allowing ourselves to dissolve into each moment, to dissolve into this that we call being alive. And in that dissolution, in that dissolution, rather than the resistance to it, the avoidance of it, but actually dissolving into our life, there's a natural understanding that is revealed that transforms our life without changing what it looks like from the outside. And so the wisdom of no escape is actually the understanding that what we're seeking to escape from is actually the raw material, is actually the very matter from which the the flowering and the flu- and the fruition of our practice takes place. That what we may seek to escape from in actually entering wholeheartedly into it, we may discover that the need to escape is gone. Simply gone. And that ease and well-being and understanding and the compassion that flows from it is available right here and right now, inevitably. So, can we just sit quietly for a minute or two, please? May all beings live with wisdom. May all beings live with compassion. May all beings live in peace. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.